This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Dan, I've always wondered, and obviously we spend a lot of time together, but I've never really considered too much. I mean, I have a little bit, but I have never actually asked, like, what's it like to be a professor besides <laughs> the cardigans, I imagine? I do agree that you've mostly neglected me and my needs on this podcast. You've asked very few questions about my life. Very few. Um, I suspect you don't know my birthday. I'm surprised you know I'm a professor. No, I'm kidding, Michael. We actually, I know that you're I, a twin. Like, that's a recent thing. Yeah, well, it, I mean, I've been a for twin. me, not for you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. At some point, I'll tell you. I mean, me and my me and my six siblings that we about the group of us have to tell you about, and like none of us went to the same schools or live in the same cities. We are all kind of crazy. So, isn't one um, Larry? Well, yes, I've, I've and we could go through the list because we talked about that in a recent episode. One of my sisters is at the right, University I'll, of Wyoming. Um, I apologize, but but yeah, I think the the skull, the work of a professor, you know, I went from being a teacher to professor. And one thing you have is you have your, your scholarship you're doing. And I think what's interesting for a lot of people is finding their line of inquiry that they're going to do. Some people find a really clear line of inquiry and do really great work. And then there's people like me who like are kind of like a, you know, distracted, like a squirrel and just kind of like do a lot of different projects. And then when people say, what's your research? I have to like write a narrative that somehow puts it all together like it really does make sense so yeah so you're like scattershot right well we've had we've had a lot of guests on who have very clear lines of inquiry and i think that the benefit of that is that um, not only does your work progress over time but it builds on it right like you're, you're continually reading in the area you get deeper like you know i mean and we have some of those guests back on over time you know like for example remember in 2018 when we had chris Busey on and we talked about you know, critical, black, black critical patriotism. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was such a good study. I mean, I hear people reference that and use that one in classes all the time, but you know, to do a study like that and then to, and that focused on the United States, but then, you know, within his career, he's focused on black history, but then he started, I know in his work to increasingly look globally at, at, you know, the black diaspora to look at, you know, Afro-Caribbean Latinx histories and, and, and ways of understanding. I'm not articulating it well, we could have him on and he could probably tell us better, but when he does that work, it allows, you know, in our field for us to know that we have someone who's developed a really deep knowledge. And that deep dive is something that's harder to do as a teacher because you're such a generalist, you know, you teach these big, broad subjects Although increasingly when I talk to teachers, I'm like, you know, some teachers also have their things that they get really into and know really right. deeply too. So if you are someone like Chris Busey, do you think you would partner up with different people on like on your journey to like, you know, build upon, build things together? Is that something you might consider? I think we should ask him. Wait, really? <laughs> we would like to welcome back to the podcast, friend of the pod, what? Chris Busey and Tiana Dowie Chen. Welcome. Hey, what's good, y'all? Thanks yeah. for having me back. Yeah, <laughs> we thanks are for having us. My goodness. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We are 
so excited to have you on. Wait, before we get into delve deep into things, Chris, do you mind giving us a, a refresh on, on who are you? And Deanna, obviously, we want to know who you are, too. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Dr. Christopher Busey, I am currently, uh, I will say, an advanced assistant professor, hopefully soon to be associate professor uh, in the School of Teaching and Learning at the University of Florida. I'm also affiliate faculty in the Center for Latin American Studies, as well as for the African American Studies program at UF. Yes, and I'm Tiana Dowie Chin. I'm a PhD candidate at University of Florida in um, the same program as Chris, which I do not call him very often. So I might <laughs> refer to him as Dr. B, but um, in the Teacher Schools and Society program, I'm originally from Brampton, Ontario, Canada. And so I was a high school teacher there for a number of years, teaching history, special education, and English. And finally, somehow made my way here to the University of Florida. Yeah, I'm curious. So how did you make your way? Because I think, you know, for doctoral students or people going to graduate programs, there are programs across the United States and Canada and across the globe that you can choose from. I'm going to just guess it was Dr. Busey's, right? You know, broad influence. <laughs> Dr. Now, how did you... How did you make it to Florida? Well, unfortunately, when I arrived here at Florida, <laughs> Dr. B was not here yet. So he came in the last like three years. So kind of the midway point of my graduate school experience. But I really wanted a change. I was in Canada teaching. I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. Um, my sister was here in Florida. And when I looked across the programs, University of Florida stood out to me. I initially focused on social foundations of education. So being that my bachelor's degree is in history, I've always thought about social movements in relation to history and thought that that would be a perfect merger of education um, and history. So I decided to pursue a master's. I was like, I'm going to leave after a master's. And I did it. <laughs> so here I am, hopefully um, finishing in the next few months. And then as Dr. B said, he's on the tail end of the system professor. I hope to be at the beginning <laughs> in the fall. It's very exciting. And uh, well, we, we wish you both a lot of, you know, um, fortune going forward. And, and uh, I know Do I, Dr. Busey, I just can't believe you're not a full professor yet from everything. You're talking, so <laughs> so you can, <laughs> you can pull that, you can pull that quote and put it into your CV and then they'll say, who is Dan, who is Dan Kretka? <laughs> I'll agree, put it in the dossier. <laughs> Well, so the reason you all are here is you wrote a really incredible article that we want to talk about today. So you were published in Theory and Research in Social Education, which again, is our, our kind of most prestigious journal in social studies. And we keep having Dr. Busey back on to talk about his articles in TRSC. And, and this one that the two of you wrote is called uh, The Making of Global Black Anti-Citizen Slash Citizenship, Situating Black Crit in Global Citizenship Research and Theory. So can you, all, can you both tell us about this article? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I can start off by telling you what led up to the article. Because oftentimes, I, I think as scholars, we can compartmentalize the work a bit when the work has a history that we don't see in the actual article itself. But, you know, this work started, at least for myself, uh, several years ago. And I can go back to... Like my first doc sim with Dr. Margaret Crocco and thinking about the concept of citizenship. But I think more recently I had an experience. I was, this was at a KUFA conference. I can't remember which one specifically, but it was maybe about four or five years ago. And I was at dinner with a group of friends 
and colleagues in the field. And I'm talking about game changers in the field. And we were having a conversation. And in that conversation, we were talking about Sylvia Winter. And at the time, I'm probably about three years out of my, probably about two years out of my doc program. And my doc program didn't introduce me to Sylvia Winter. I heard of Sylvia Winter. I had seen, you know, some of the articles and book chapters and books, but I had never really engaged with Sylvia Winter's work. And I remember being at the dinner table and, you know, feeling somewhat lost in that conversation. I'm sure we've all had that moment. And, you know, I said to myself that I'm going to go get into Sylvia Winter's work. And I'm not sure if you read Sylvia Winter's work, but it's some deep stuff. Like you just don't read Sylvia Winter one time and come out of it understanding everything, right? But this article resulted from a critical studying of Sylvia Winter's work over the course of several years, right? So teaching Sylvia Winter's work alongside scholars like Christina Sharp, Sadia Hartman, Jerry Sexton, uh, Frank B. Wilderson III, really engaging with the scholarship and Afro-pessimism, as well as my critical race theory, Doc Sim, right? And so there was that critical studying on top of the teaching, and then the conversations that I have with Doc students at UF. I mean, we just hit each other up on the phone sometimes, and we're like, you know, I just read this new piece, you know, with, with Fred Moten. Have you read it? I'm going to send it to you. Let me know your thoughts. And so conceptualizing this piece came from that long history of just critical reading and studying and theorizing with a group of scholars like Sylvia Winter and so on. I know some people would categorize the work as Afro-pessimist in nature as well. So that was kind of like the impetus for even thinking about the concept of anti-citizenship initially. Do you mind telling us, uh, for those who, who just had to Google, telling us who uh, Sylvia Winter is or a little bit more about her and about her work? Oh, man, you just put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> so Sylvia Winter, how can I describe Sylvia Winter's work? So Sylvia Winter is a Black study scholar, right, who writes about the idea of, of human and humanist praxis, right? So what Sylvia Winter's work really encourages us to do is to kind of think about a lot of these concepts like the long durée of slavery, right? But to also think about the making of man and how man has been made throughout this centuries long process of Essentially, I guess you can say constructing the black as non-human, as subperson. That's been a consistent part of the making of man one as well as man two that Sylvia Winter talks about. Now, I'm that's not the complete <laughs> story on Sylvia Winter. Right. That would take about, I think, 20 podcast episodes, maybe perhaps. <laughs> so adding on to Sylvia Winter, I think bringing in my perspective on some of the origins of this piece is Sylvia Winter born in Cuba to Jamaican parents, which I <laughs> emphasize that because I'm from Canada and my parents are Jamaican. Um, but this idea of blackness 
as not necessarily tied to a national identity um, was something that kept on coming up in conversations with Dr. B and thinking about Black scholars who focus on what is Blackness and how do we think about Blackness, and especially with my move from Toronto to the South, (laughs) it was something that really shook me in terms of what does it mean to be Black? Because growing up in Canada, in Toronto, I always saw Black as synonymous with Caribbean culture. And that's what You know, most of my friends are first generation Canadians and their parents are from the Caribbean and our blackness is so much tied to Caribbean culture. And when I moved to the U.S. South, you know, I was kind of shaken because a lot of the things that I had identified as being black were not necessarily seen as black. I had never had, for example, grits before. And when I moved to the South, some of my friends were like, how could you not have grits? But for me, that was not a part of my identity. And it really helps me to kind of think about, you know, what is Blackness? And how do we think of people as being Black? And Dr. B pushed, you know, us in courses to think about that critically. And we had a lot of conversations about, you know, what does Blackness mean? How does that shape our experience as people? Because we sometimes think about it in these cultural ways, which is part of it. But as I moved from one geographic space to another, Blackness was kind of shaken up for me. So another key concept you have that you've already mentioned is this notion of anti-citizen and citizenship, right? And citizenship is supposedly the, the, the purpose of our field, right? It's why we do social studies education, which I know the first time I heard that I was shocked because I didn't see any relationship between what was happening in classes to anything in the world at all. So now we're we're even you. You all are bringing up new questions about that. So, can you talk a little bit more about that concept of of, of black anti citizen and citizenship? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, again, out of our conversations, critical studying of of this work, you know, we really started to think about the idea of of citizenship and how this notion of citizenship is kind of taken for granted, right? Like we throw it around in conversations, we go to conferences, we talk about democratic citizenship. Well, what does it really mean? And can everyone be citizen, right? Can everyone have a a rightful claim to citizenship? And when you look at anti-Blackness, which, you know, we argue in this piece, there's a long history of anti-Blackness that didn't just start in 2020, all right? Now, we know that there's a ton of, of calls for special issues of journal articles and so on, but this conversation goes far back, right? And, and that got us to thinking about the idea that, again, if anti-Blackness is so permanent, right, if it's if it's such a permanent feature of not just U.S. society, but of of nation states globally, of how world systems operate, the global design of world systems is is built on anti-Blackness, then how can we really fully articulate the idea of citizenship in relation to Blackness? What do these concepts like freedom mean? What do these concepts like liberation mean? What do these concepts like rights that we often talk about in social studies conversations, right? Um, You can look at a lot of the literature on race is is centered around rights, is centered around the civil rights movement, 
certain freedoms, constitutional rights, and so on. I mean, I, I think we have to really ask ourselves, given, again, the permanence of anti-Blackness, are those things really achievable? Are they realizable? Is it our reality? And so that's how the concept of anti-citizenship comes into play. So another concept you mentioned in the paper is black crit, which is a, a, a branch of critical race theory. And so can you talk a little bit about how that informs it? Because I know critical race theory, one of the assumptions is that racism is a pervasive feature in the United States. And I would, I would assume in black crit, we're assuming that's anti-black racism, which so often I, I know as you know, a white guy, not realizing even how it existed and permeated. Because when I talk government, there's all these things that are taken for granted in the curriculum, like the right to vote is fundamental to being a citizen. And it's not stated along the lines, the efforts that have never ended to dis disenfranchise black people in this country and that are as you know vigorous right now during this current moment as they've been in years. And so can you talk a little bit about how critical race theory and black crit also layer in to help the, in this interpretation? And so I can think about being introduced to black crit and so it was in Dr. B's critical race theory course that I was introduced to this. So before I came across critical race theory in a number of courses, used it in my own work. But when I was introduced to Black Crit, it was like I felt seen, heard. It made so much sense to me um, because I think sometimes there is the assumption and Dumas and Ross, who are credited with conceptualizing Black Crit, talk about the idea that while, of course, critical race theory can be used to think about anti-Blackness and to interrogate anti-Blackness, that there's an assumption that critical race theory is in inherently a Black theory. Whereas Dumas and Ross explained that Black crit speaks to the specificity of Blackness. And so, as you already noted, thinking about, you know, racism as endemic. Um, one of the framing ideas of Black crit is that anti-Blackness is endemic and it's permanent. So it helped to, for me, kind of give a voice to these very specific experiences of Black people globally. And so being that I was a teacher in Canada, there were some things that I could say, yes, that happens in Canada. And I also seeing happen in the US and just speaking with my parents, I know it's something that also happens in Jamaica. And so it was really helpful for me um, being able to kind of name some of these things in explicit um, language that centered Blackness. So I feel like for me, it just helps give language to experiences that I had personally, my students experience or that I've read about, but really naming how it was unique to Blackness. And so we've added the, a Black Crit article to our show notes for people that want to learn more. And so you, you mentioned in your um, article that this is a provocation for the field, right, to rethink a lot of things. Can you tell us a little bit like what you hope educators, scholars are, are doing? Like, what are you hoping in your, your own classrooms and your own work and, and beyond in other classrooms and work that, that happens from this? Maybe I can start. So um, I had the opportunity of teaching the social studies methods course here at the University of Florida. And when I came on, I was not necessarily given free reign to redesign the course, but was given some space to do some things. And one of the, you know, 
assignments that was really critical to the course was having these difficult dialogues. So students would take something happening kind of in popular culture and talk about it and nuance it, thinking about any specific discipline in social studies. So one conversation that came up, of course, was thinking about Colin Kaepernick and, you know, was is kneeling, you know, unpatriotic. And as I look back at these experiences and the conversations that students were having, I think about how that conversation could have been further nuanced with this idea of anti-citizenship. Because when we looked at other social movements like the Women's March um, versus Black Lives Matter, there's this there's this emphasis on, on Black people being like antagonist, this idea of being anti against the system in ways that women aren't seen when they're marching or protesting. But as we see Black bodies protesting for Black lives, there's this idea that you know, something's very unpatriotic about that. And thinking about anti-citizenship as a concept, I feel like having that concept would have helped me to think about what are some ways that we, we think about Black bodies when it comes to the state, as when Black people are trying to, you know, be seen as full humans, that they're met with this idea that they're antagonist. And so when we look at Colin Kaepernick, there's so much uproar about him and his him being unpatriotic and how that's seen in many ways as him being an anti-citizen. And so I feel like that's an example of how I feel like this work can help us inform when we think about anti-citizenship or patriotism um, or citizens in general, just having that language to kind of think about that specificity of Blackness. Yeah, and I think that also speaks to anti-citizenship itself like Tiana you just brought up the idea of being against the state right and so one of the ways that I was explaining this this article uh, recently was to think about how think about how black folk enter the curriculum right most often black folk enter the curriculum like students are introduced to blackness black people black subjectivities as enslaved persons right and if not enslaved persons as being, again, against the state. All right, so how is that, you know, symmetrical or congruent with the idea of citizenship itself? So, you know, when I think about what I would hope that educators, researchers, teachers get out of this article is starting with a, a baseline questioning of these, these concepts that, again, we just tend to uh, use and, and use in a, in a manner that's taken for granted, right? So again, what is citizenship? What is democracy, all right? And even thinking about moments um, as incomplete, emancipation is incomplete, but we teach it as something that's complete, it happened, boom, it's done, nah, all right? So this is what this article does, is it takes us to another, uh, I think, conceptual layer of or I guess you could say it peels back another conceptual layer, right? Uh, of thinking about these terms. So when I think about like when I can work with like pre-service social studies teachers and potentially bring this up, a question that I think of, and I'd love to hear if you all think this would work is, you know, how do we understand black citizens in a society and a, you know, history that views them as anti-citizens? Is that, am I, am I along the right line? Because I, and we've been talking about this a lot lately, right? The ways that, for example, uprisings by enslaved people oftentimes are not viewed as freedom fights, right? Are not viewed like, like this is like actually fighting for racial justice, yet it, it does not get put on the level of 
kind of the by comparison, you know, complaints of the of the the founding generation, which are by comparison like feel very trivial. Like right, they're they're like have these theoretical arguments and literally problematically use the term slave even when they're making those justifications. And then we have actually enslaved people who fight against that. Yet they don't get that same place in the curriculum. Is, is that an example that that would work of of showing both that anti citizen concept and then elevating it from like a black crit perspective is that the start of a potential critical inquiry i i would i would say yes definitely i think you know making that connection explicit in how black citizens are viewed and connecting that to anti-citizen would be you know a place that i would definitely go and as you were speaking i was thinking about even thinking about a question that could maybe come after for example how do we think about the, or what do we think about the relationship between enslaved people and anti-citizen? And so this idea, as we talk about in the piece of anti-Blackness not being something new, but really, you know, emerging from the transatlantic slave trade and seeing that connection, that historical connection, I think could also, you know, bridge it into history conversations as well. And I think to add, I can't remember the question verbatim uh, that you posed, Dan. But I think to even add to those questions that, that you brought up or that one question that you posed, I think it's incumbent upon us to encourage teachers, pre-service educators specifically, to think about some of the ways in which democracy has been consistent with anti-Blackness, all right? Over the period of centuries and across right. certain nation states, right? So I think that's a question that, that we can begin to encourage folk to think about. And, you know, as Tiana and I were talking about the piece again tonight, she brought up Christina Sharp, right? And how we can even view these moments, right? Moments like summer of 2020, that's normative. That's normative in the U.S. is is normative in in Euro-Western societies across this globe, right? So that's not a barrier. And, And that goes back to the first kind of theme or principle of Black crit, that what we are seeing is not new. This is not something that we should be surprised about. This is normative. It is consistent with democracy or the idea I mean, of democracy. Right. And, and I always want to use that word in its ideal sense, right? Like that, that we actually have a multicultural, inclusive, equitable democracy. But you actually have to say all those things because that's not how democracy is played out in the United States. And as you're saying this, it, it kind of made me just realize all of a sudden how many episodes we've had Black scholars come on this podcast and talk about like this, right? We had Marcus Johnson come on and talk about his notion of the maybe citizens, right? So again, the the place, the role that Black people have within the American, American democracy. Dr. Amanda Vickery, uh, my colleague, came on and she talked about the complexity of citizenship for Black women social studies teachers and how the existing definitions didn't fit. And so, yeah, this is certainly not a 2020 issue, but something that scholars are continually coming back to. And so it's an incredible line of scholarship that hopefully will provoke a lot of people to really rethink how we, you know, frame, you know, what the work we're doing in our classes. So what advice do you have for for educators, for our listeners on thinking more about Black Crit and and bringing this to their departments or to their to their practice, I know it's a it's a big one. The first thing that comes to mind is thinking about this on a global scale as well. And so, thinking about my you know country of origin, Canada, 
despite the fact that Canada did not have widespread slavery, um, did not mean does not mean that Black people are fully citizens within the Canadian context as well. Um, if we look at the studies that oftentimes are in U.S. context, if we look at take it to Canada, um, such as you know Black student performance or the arrest rates of Black people, it's very similar where there's a disproportionality in terms of injustices towards Black people. And so thinking about Blackness as a global term as well as a local term. And so for me, one of the things that's really useful is to think about this in a global context and to not think that maybe, for example, as Canada as well, although there's this projection of multiculturalism, that there's so much more underneath that. And while that might be something that's on the surface, looking at anti-Blackness across the world. And so one of the examples that I think about is this idea that during, um, or this incident during the beginning of the COVID pandemic, where there was a sign in a province in China's, China McDonald's that said, you know, Black people are not allowed with it to come into this store because it was seen that black people specifically Nigerians that were living in this province were assumed to have higher rates of COVID. Now, what was particular to me in this sign was they didn't say Nigerians. They didn't talk about their nationality. They spoke specifically about their race, black people. And so this idea that black people are tethered to their blackness wherever they go, even in China, Nigerians are reduced to their race, not to their nationality, not to some other type of social marker, but they were identified as black people intentionally. And so that helps me, the global anti-blackness helps me make a connection across these different geographic spaces and to see blackness or anti-blackness as very intentional and ingrained part of society globally. Gosh, and, and the anti-blackness of the pandemic overall is, is a social study. That could be a, a year-long course in social studies. If you've looked at some of these maps where you look at where COVID has hit the hardest, and then it's like the inverse to where the vaccines are going, right? Which is primarily to white communities. And I even seen, um, I'm from Oklahoma originally, and I've, I've, I follow a lot of people there. And I recently saw too, even within um, some indigenous nations in Oklahoma, there's been a lot uh, recently, the, the, I think it was the Chickasaw Nation opened their vaccine allotments to white settlers, right? Before black freedmen within the nation, who there's been a lot of fighting over the role of black freedmen within several of the nations and in, uh, indigenous nations in Oklahoma got it. And so that was like a real point you could see. And, and I've seen indigenous scholars who are advocating against anti-blackness too, right? And so you see the, how it can pervade. <laughs> We've talked about China, whiteness, uh, and even how indigenous nations that have blackness can pervade. And I know that's one of the points of your article. So this is uh, really, really great work. And I really like to encourage everyone to make sure to, um, we link to the article. And if you need a copy of it, ever can access it. I know that's hard for teachers. There's ways, you know, send us a DM or an email. We can get it to people. If anyone's listening that doesn't agree with that, then I did not say that. You know, to what Tiana was saying, I think we are, Currently in the moment where we're seeing reading groups across departments, both at the university level as well as in our K-12 schools. But one of the things that we encourage folk to do, you know, in the conclusion of this piece is to sit with the ideals or, or to, to rather, uh, I guess you can say, we encourage folk to, to sit with terror 
right? Just for a moment, just for a moment. And if we do so, we'll realize that, especially right now in this current social political moment, what's happening is that the consumption of black bodies, the consumption of black life is used for some form of national therapy, right? And again, I alluded to the book clubs, the reading groups, and so on. But are we really asking ourselves why? And what is really happening? Are we really questioning the systems and the ideals that we, you know, tend to hold ourselves true to and how they've failed Black folk? across this globe. And I think we have to sit with that for a moment and really reckon with that fact. Giving people a moment there, right? I mean, I think to think about also what what are the next steps for our audience, right? Like what are, what can you do? And, uh, you know, I think I'm sure it's disappointing for people who work in this field to see, you know, the, <laughs> the stories after um, the murder of George Floyd, right? That people are doing book clubs, but then they didn't, you know, ordered books. And there was these like lines, people didn't even pick up the books, right? I don't know if you saw that for books, like local bookstores where like people would order anti-racist books and then not get them, right? It's like, they were only excited enough to do the order and, 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 and give, you know, small and then not do it. And um, this is, this is continual right work, right? I mean, this takes, especially for people who are not in this field, right? I mean, it's, this is not easy work and it can't be done lightly. So, so thank you all for writing this article. This is a great, a great starting point for people who want to get into it. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Chris Busey and Tiana Dowie-Chin for, for chatting with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate, appreciate you having me again. We are so, thrilled you could come back. We are, we are. And where can our listeners find you, your work online, if you have a podcast, you know, what, what do you guys got going on? Well, I deactivated my Twitter account recently. It was just too much. Like, I couldn't do it. <laughs> like, I, I needed a I've, break. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I know that because I search for your handle sometimes and I'm like, why can't I find it? And it's because you're not there. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just needed a break. It was it was becoming unhealthy for me at one point. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't have a healthy relationship with social media, so I had to deactivate it. So you can find me on old school Facebook. <laughs> you can also hit up my email. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'll be back on Twitter or Instagram or something relatively soon. Whenever I find the time to get around to it. But yeah, for right now, Facebook, and then just shoot me an email. And if you got the sell, hit me up on text. <laughs> or or write him a full letter, write a thoughtful letter out. Nobody hey, does. You have a Friendster account? <laughs> <laughs> MySpace. <laughs> you, you can find me on Twitter. I um, tweet about all things, so pop culture included. My Twitter handle is Miss underscore T Chin. And I do have a podcast um, with one of my dear friends and also colleagues in this doctoral program. Um, his name is Matt Cowley. And our podcast is called Black and Intellectualish. And we are on all platforms. Um, and, you know, we'd love for you to listen and tweet at us and let us know your thoughts. We talk about 
all things race-related, pop culture, education, and talk about our journey as two people in this doctoral program, hopefully getting out in the near future. But we just try to make this thing that seems really mysterious, kind of more, um, you know, explicit. That's awesome, for sure. And we will make sure to link those resources in our show notes so you all can contact both of our guests and subscribe to Tiana's podcast and make sure to listen to all of those episodes. So thank, um, thank you. Yeah. And thank you again for uh, joining us. We certainly hope to continue these discussions online and in other spaces. At the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun for creative education or you just want to chat, tweet us up. We're at Visions of Ed. Sometimes we're on Facebook. Other times we're not. And if you haven't already, after you subscribe to Black and Intellectualish, subscribe to Visions of Education podcast on all, all your platforms. That'd be great. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you want us to be. And if you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. And again, why not? And you can subscribe to Black and Intellectualish and leave them a five-star review too. Just take our word for it. Five-star review is deserved. And so we would like to thank- Five-star review. <laughs> oh, do we have one? Yes, we have a whole bunch. <laughs> All right, what do we got? All right, this is from NTAS3426. Yay for VOE. I didn't realize that that was our acronym. Oh, that's nice. I like that. It is very nice. Uh, I really like that these podcasts are set up for people who aren't professors or doctorate students as a great source of summary on big issues and topics so that everyone is able to contribute to these type of conversations and have a voice. All right. VOE for the win. Love it. I love it. Now we don't have to say the whole thing. It's good. Because early on, people thought it was a podcast about a guy named Dad. So that was confusing. But you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off. And we do need to thank Zach Seitz. Zach Seitz! For Thanks, Zach. Uh, doing our stuff. Thank you for editing. Zach Seitz of Raleigh High School and University of North Texas. Nice this job, Zach. Chaos.